Well, this morning we're going to begin our study in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and then we will make our way to Luke chapter 2 at the end. So if you want to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, but maybe put your bulletin or something in Luke 2, because we will be moving there at a certain point. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, Paul says, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. I have wanted to talk about this on Christmas for many years, but it it seems almost kind of arrogant to say I'm going to talk about something Paul says is unspeakable. So I've always been hesitant to bring up the topic, but this verse has always kind of grabbed me. And so when you think about what are you going to share about for Christmas, I kind of gravitated back towards it and And I thought to myself, I ran into the same problem as like, how do you talk about something that Paul says is unspeakable? I'm not sure what he's talking about entirely. I think I might know, but the context of the chapter is interesting because it has nothing to do with anything God did. At the time Paul wrote this letter, he'd been sending Timothy and Titus to collect financial offerings from all the churches he planted in, in the Balkan area and in the area of modern day Turkey. And the offering was for the struggling believers in the church at Jerusalem. And when the church at Corinth heard about it, they were all excited and they committed, hey, we're going to participate. And so Paul basically spends the bulk of this chapter teaching the Corinthians about giving and therefore us about giving, the right attitude for giving, how to figure out how much you should give, the blessings that come from being generous, and then why we should be generous to those who are in need. But then we come to this last verse And Paul pivots from their giving and therefore our giving to now his thanks for something God gave. And that pivot shows us that the final word when it comes to the topic of giving is to be thankful for something that God gave to us. Now, that's a relevant topic for today because gift giving is a big part of our culture during the Christmas season, right? I mean, Most of you will gather with friends and loved ones on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, and you'll exchange gifts. Many of you have probably already given out gifts to those you won't be able to be with on either of those days. And when we consider our gift giving, there are many reasons we give gifts during the Christmas season. Most most of those reasons are good. Some of them may not be good. It's like, oh, it's a work party and I got to bring a, got some white elephant, whatever, blah, blah, blah. That may not be the most excited reason, but most of the reasons are good. We give gifts to say thank you for the blessing someone is to us. Hey, I love you. I just want to let you know how much of a blessing you are to me. This is my way of saying thank you. Sometimes we give gifts to some people to surprise them. People say, hey, I was listening when you mentioned that you needed this or you wanted this earlier in the year. Here you are. Merry Christmas. And then we give gifts to some because we've learned, like the early church believers learned, that what Jesus said is true. In Acts 20, verse 35, Paul says, and the Lord taught us that it's more blessed to give than to receive. If you're a parent, you understand what that's like when you see the joy on your kids' face as they, they get something they were hoping for, or something that's a complete surprise. Me and Bev were doing some shopping, and we, we came down an aisle, and I said, hey, it's that gift that we got for one of our kids one day. And it was, uh, if you've watched the Disney movie, not recommending it, Disney, please don't throw tomatoes. But there's one with a chicken that just squawks. 
His name's Hey Hey. And we got it one year for one of our kids at Christmas. And that thing, it triggered us. Someone actually hit it and it did the scream. And it triggered us like three aisles away. But it was such a joy to, you know, when you see your kid's face, you know, just because you, you love to, you understand the blessing that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so when I revisited 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 15 this week, it got me thinking, so what is this gift I'm not really allowed to talk that much about? What is this unspeakable gift that God gave us that Paul's so thankful for? And does God give it to us for the same reasons we give? And if not, why does He give us this gift? And so my hope is to answer those three questions. What's the gift? Does God give it like we do? And if not, why does He? Over the next two weeks. So let's start with the first question. What is this unspeakable gift? Well, the word gift here, it's the word that we understand very well during this season. It's a present, all right? A present. It's used in the New Testament to describe uh, presents to God, the sacrificial offerings people would bring to God to just say, thank you, Lord, we love you. We want to just tell you how grateful we are, and we bring you this offering, this present. It also is used in the New Testament to describe the blessings that God gives to us. In James chapter 1, verse 17, it says that, you know, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights above from the Father of lights, with whom there is no shadow of turning. He's just good. He gives us gifts, gives us presence. In Acts 2.38, it calls the Holy Spirit. It says, if you'll repent and believe, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he gives us presence just because he's good. And then in the New Testament, also uses it for the presence people give to each other on special days. It carries the idea, though, not just of a gift given, but a gift given free of charge and undeserved. There are gifts that you will give because you feel like, well, someone deserves it. You figure, well, you know, they gave me this thing, man. I'm in their debt. Like, I've got to get them something nice. That's not this word. Nor would it be a word that would be a gift given to equal the account. It's not just because, well, you're in their debt. They got you something nice. You got to get them something nice. But, well, they got me something, so I need to get them something. We need to equalize the account. That's not what this word is used for. This word is a gift or a present given in a relationship where there is a large imbalance that cannot be overcome. Now, we have the capacity to give like that. If you have children or a family member or a friend who, because of resource differences, they could never give you a gift equal to the one you can get them, but you do it joyfully because you love them, that's this word. You know, we give to our kids, and you know, it's not like they're like, oh, dad spent about you know, you know, $600 on me, so I've got to break out the checkbook, and dad, here's a $600 check. That, that they don't have the resources for that, but you don't care because you love them, right? You just want to bless them. That's this word. Now, you say, okay, so God does give like us. Well, I didn't say that because Paul throws an adjective in front of this word that can represent something we do to show how it's different than our gift giving. He says the gift that he's thankful for from God is his unspeakable gift. Some translations have the word indescribable. 
This is the only time this word is used in the New Testament. In fact, trying to find it in Greek is a near impossibility, so something Paul actually coined the word just to describe this specific gift from God, which leads me to believe that Paul has something very specific in mind and not just the general idea that God has blessed us. Like, I don't think Paul's saying, you guys are being generous and that's awesome and here's how you give and do that. And by the way, let's not forget all the wonderful gifts God gives to us, how generous he's been to us. I don't think that's what Paul's saying. I think he has something very specific in mind. In fact, this word is a very long compound word in the New Testament language that literally translates to not to be told throughout. Something that you're not allowed to speak in fullness about. One linguist named Benson said, this word cannot be fully declared in human language. In other words, it's not that we can't speak about it, it's that language won't suffice to speak about it in fullness. Alexander McLaren put it this way, it's that which cannot be fully declared, language fails because thought fails. It's something you can't wrap your mind around completely and therefore something you cannot describe completely. If anyone would ever ask me, and on the few occasions they have, like my kids, Dad, how do you pick up a phone and hear a voice on the other side? I have no capability of doing that because I don't fully wrap my mind around it. Now, I have had people who are well-versed in how this works, and I still look at the thing and go, sorcery. (laughs) How does someone's voice, literally, the other side of the planet, get to me in real time. That is incomprehensible to me. I cannot wrap my mind around it. I mean, I get it. I understand that there's electronics involved and and sound waves and things like that, and that scientifically it works. This gift, language fails because no one's thought succeeds. Everyone's thoughts on this fails. Therefore, almost all translators agree that the best way you could describe this word is by the phrase, beyond words. Thanks be to God for his gift that is beyond words. Now, some commentators suggest that Paul is talking about how he was blown away by the generosity of all the churches. That words, he couldn't find the words to describe how grateful to God he was for how generous everyone had been. But I would respectfully disagree, because this word is way too big for that. I mean, I could say that about, I can't believe how how much food I ate this Thanksgiving. Words don't describe the feeling I have right now. I don't think that's what the way Paul is using it. Because while Paul, this is the only time he uses this word in the Bible, he does use similar language when discussing a similar topic. Turn to Ephesians 3 with me. Ephesians 3 is just a few books to the right of 2 Corinthians. Ephesians 3, verses 18 and 19. We've actually spent a bit of time on this when we've been studying the Gospel of John because John says, you know, we saw Jesus and we saw his glory. We're just saying about how glorious it is that that he's come, right? And he said, we saw that glorious, full of grace and truth. And of that fullness, we've all received it. 
And Paul prayed about that, that we'd experience, that we'd be filled with all the fullness of God, that we'd fully grasp as much as possible that grace. But he prayed something else first. In verses 18 and 19 of Ephesians 3, he says, he's praying for them. One of the things is that you might be able to comprehend, wrap your mind around, apprehend, lay hold of, know what to do with, with all the saints, so not just you guys, but all believers, so us too. And what is it that he wants us to be able to wrap our mind around and be able to to wield? He says it's the breadth, the length, and depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ, which what? Passes knowledge. It's it surpasses the ability to really know it. He says you might be able to grasp enough of what's unknowable to be able to wield it toward one another, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Language can't fully describe the love of God because it's impossible to fully comprehend it. So that's very similar to our word unspeakable here. Language fails because thought fails. You see, God revealed his love to us in a way that we could begin to comprehend it. So it means we can start to grasp it, even if we can't fully. And that love of God was revealed in the form of a present. Hebrews 6, chapter uh, chapter 6, verse 4 calls it his heavenly gift. And of course, we know it better from John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. It's the same word, same root that the word present comes from. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This heavenly gift from God came wrapped in the form of a child, his own son, become a human being to rescue us from our sins. Amen? That's the answer to our first question. What is the unspeakable gift? It's Jesus. He's the unspeakable gift. He's the thing that can't fully be described, the concept of the incarnation, the concept that God became a human being for us. Words can never describe that gift not adequately. Well, what about the two other questions? Well, does God give Jesus to us for the same reasons we give gift to others? And if not, then why does God give us this gift of Jesus? Well, to answer those questions, we need to ask why this gift of Jesus is beyond words. Barnes said this, he said, this gift is unspeakable because of the inexpressible love which he unveiled the unutterable sufferings which he endured, and the inexpressibly great benefits which result from his work. No language can do justice to this work in any of those respects. And as I was reading what different people had to say about this concept of Jesus being the gift and the unspeakable gift, I kept seeing similar language to that quote wherever I read. For example, Alexander McLaren said this, the gift comes from unspeakable love, unspeakable sacrifice, and unspeakable results. So same three things again. An indescribable love, an indescribable sacrifice, and indescribable results. When we look at the gifts that we might give to someone, we can fully grasp the love and the sacrifice and the result. You can look down at the receipt and you can see the love and the sacrifice, right? Because you look and you go, wow, that was a lot. Or you can go, that wasn't very much. We got to get him something else. 
This does not convey the love correctly. You know it. You understand it. You understand the motivation behind it. You have all of those questions or all of those topics are answered. But the fact that God's gift of Jesus stems from motives, methods, and goals that are beyond words, therefore means that there's something very different about how God gives the gift of Jesus than the way we give to others. There's something that must be considered. The why, the how, and the what can't be fully grasped. But Paul says there's enough that can be known to give thanks. Which is why I'd like to spend the rest of our time this morning looking at just one of those things, the why. We'll look at the, the how and the what next Sunday, but this morning, just the why. God's indescribable love. A, wor- a love beyond words. So let's turn to Luke chapter 2. Kind of interesting. We have all these songs that we sing about the angels singing. And the songs that we sing have way more verses and, and you know, lines in them than anything the angels said. You would think the way that we do things is like we truncate things, right? We take a snapshot. Did you hear the president's speech? Well, no. Tell me what it's about. Oh, da-da-da-da. Oh, okay. But obviously the speech is way longer than someone explained to you what he said. But here we do the opposite. When you read Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 14, there's very little the angels say. It's a very short speech. In fact, considering the occasion, I probably want to have a word with some of these guys when I get to heaven. And see, this is like the biggest moment ever. And this is all you had to say? Luke 2.10. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So the announcement of what's going on, why they're there. And this will be a sign. So in other words, don't just take our word for it. You're going to find something unique, something interesting. This will be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Not something you see every day. When you go find the kid, you'll know it's him because he's sleeping in a feeding trough. Again, not something you would expect to see. When we brought our firstborn child home, we were terrified. When, when he was born, he, he was not breathing, so we were there for a few extra days. And so um, they were monitoring him, and he had a lot of fluid in his lungs, stuff like that. And so when we got home, we were terrified. You, know, you, you set the speakers up, right, the monitor, and you try to go to sleep, but the whole time you're thinking, is he breathing? Do you hear him breathing? I don't hear him breathing. Go check on him. And of course, you don't want to wake him up, but you got to make sure because you look and you're like, I'm not sure if he's moving or my mind's playing tricks on me. And then you put your hand on his chest and you feel the rise and the fall. Okay. This was not the ideal place for a child, a feeding trough, right? I know it's all cute and everything, and we put the little baby dolls and little things in front of our house and whatever, but that's not where you put a child. It's interesting today, to this day, people question Jesus' existence, whatever, and the angels, it's almost like they knew this was coming. I always wondered, like, what other sign do the shepherds need? There's angels there. We're not sure if this is supernatural. Well, you'll find a baby lying in a manger. 
oh, okay, now we're good. <laughs> this will be the sign unto you. Find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. So they give the explanation, tell them where to find him. And then really, this is, this is it. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. So now everybody shows up. There's just one angel prior to this. Now they're all there. This is the moment that they have all been waiting for. Been rehearsing for thousands of years. And they said, glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace, goodwill toward men. All right, that's a wrap. Good job, everybody. Your services are no longer required. When you've got a message that's that short and that concise, you need to figure out it's what they're saying because it's probably pretty important since they don't want anything else to distract from it. Glory to God in the highest. So praises to God. He did it. And then on earth, so now regarding not looking heavenward first, but then toward us, on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now, I've taught on this before, so you've heard me say this before. I apologize for repeating myself, but the goodwill toward men is not, yay, let's all get along, Jesus came. That's not the point. It's not goodwill from, from man to men, but it's God's goodwill toward man. That's why there's going to be peace on earth, not peace between one another, but peace finally between us and God because his will towards us is good. You see, the good news, the tidings, the good news that brings great joy for everyone is that God's will towards man is good despite our sin. That's his love towards us. That his desire for us is good. What he wants for us is good. His heart towards us is good despite our sin. And he proves it with a gift beyond words. He becomes a human being. God the Son given to us as a gift. As the prophet Isaiah foretold, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The same person is both a child and a son. A child who's born, a human being, a son who's given, the Son of God, become human. Why did God give the gift? We already read it. For God so loved the world. The reason God's will towards man is good despite our sin is because of his great love for us. That love is the cause of the gift. The gift is the expression of the love. You know, one of the reasons that we give a gift to someone we love is because we're trying to transcend the inadequacy of human language. Each year on Christmas morning, you could just wake up and you could read your children a poem that declares how much you love them. All right, guys, Merry Christmas, chores. Right? You could do that. Or you could sit them down and give a lengthy speech that explains how much you love them. But isn't it interesting how a simple, thoughtful gift usually can achieve better success than any of those things, right? Isn't that interesting? You can give something to someone and they can get very emotional. And they'll think to themselves, you thought about me and you got this for me? 
Why is that? Well, it's because words are, by their very nature, limited. You're trying to take something you think or feel or have experienced and trying to put it into something that's not your think, your thoughts, your feelings, or your experience. By their very nature, they're limited. And truth be told, words don't cost us very much. Oh, yes, a poem or a speech would take time to prepare and to pick the right words, but words can also be spoken with no consequence whatsoever. I had an uncle who I believe is with the Lord now, but he was one of those 11th hour believers. I mean, he knew the truth all the time, but he didn't really repent and decide to follow the Lord till his last days. He lived most of his life as an irresponsible lecher. He was a vile man. He was drunk all the time. His views and treatment of women were awful. He had a, an amazing life. He had a, a beautiful marriage, had kids who loved him, had an incredible job, was quite wealthy, and threw it all down the tubes for drink. And so he eventually was kicked out of the home. His family, no one would speak to him. Burned bridges with everybody, and he eventually came to live with us. And so he stayed with us for a bit, and he would make all sorts of promises, you know, because he couldn't keep a job because he wasn't sober enough to do so. And so he, he, he'd be with us while we'd be at home in the afternoon, we'd be watching cartoons or something. And you know how during the cartoons, all the commercials are targeted towards kids. I realized the power of advertising because now when I watch commercials, I realize all the commercials are targeted towards me, an almost old man, Right? And then you'd see something like, oh, I want that board game or whatever. And every time that would happen, my great uncle, he would say, oh, is that, you like that? He's like, I'm going to get that for your birthday. But of course, he was so inebriated, he never remembered any of those promises, never had the resources to do anything and never happened. Lots of disappointment when you're a little kid. Words, as they say, or talk, as they say, is cheap. Like you... There's no, you can say them with no consequence. No one's forcing you to act on those words. You could very easily neglect following through on those words. That's why that phrase exists. Now, that doesn't mean that a gift is inherently better than words. A gift can certainly be given with very little thought or even very little love involved. It can be given out of a sense of obligation or guilt or a desire to escape embarrassment. But a gift given out of genuine love, well, that has the ability to transcend language. Alexander McLaren said this, no tongue can ever fully serve the heart. Language is ever weaker than our grief and not seldom weaker than our love. Language is but the surface water that can be run off through the narrow channel of speech, but the central deep remains. <laughs> That's pretty picturesque, is it not? He says, if it be so with human affection, how much more must it be so with God's love? Can you or I give a full representation of how much God loves us with words? Of course not, but there's something you can do. I can point to Jesus. How do I know God loves me? Go look at Jesus. 
Look at the incarnation. There is your explanation, the one that can be grasped. God became human. He lived in our skin. He walked in our midst, and then he died in our place. Charles Wesley wrote the famous hymn, And Can It Be That I Should Gain? And most of us, if you've been in church for any period of time, have probably heard the chorus. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Right? Many of you have heard that. But most of us have probably never sung the second verse. Tis mystery all, the immortal dies, who can explore his strange design. In vain the firstborn seraph tries to sound the depths of love divine. He describes this concept of Luke 2 where the angel is sent to do something that he cannot do, which is describe the love that's behind the gift. If you look at the next chorus line, it says, "'Tis mercy all, let earth adore, let angels' minds inquire no more." In other words, Wesley said the, the angels, they cannot describe God's love for us. I, he's correct. Romans eleven thirty three through 36, it tells us that they had no part in this plan of redemption. In Romans eleven thirty three through 36, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Or who has first given to Him and it shall be repaid unto Him again? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The angels knew of God's plan to rescue us. They were part of the plan's execution. But the love that brought about that plan, that was just as incomprehensible to them as it is to us. And so the words are simple. Behold him. Glory to God in the highest. Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. It's good news. Rejoice because of the good news. And it's not just for you, it's for everybody. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And then the final word by all the angels, glory to God in the highest. God gets all the glory for doing this. And you you can now be at peace with God because God's heart, His will, His love, it's all toward you. It's not against you. God loves you. He offers peace to you. His desire for you is good. In other words, the angel says His gift is the best explanation that can be given to prove it. My f- more words would not suffice. So where does that leave us 2,000 years later? We, we sit here 2,000 years later and we have a, a holiday that on its general basis is to commemorate the birth of Christ. Certainly there are lots of other ideas that are wrapped up in that. I won't deny the fact that its history comes from a lot of ties to the pagan feast or Saturnalia. I'm not denying that. But I will say, and, and however you choose to celebrate Christmas, as long as you're worshiping the Lord, that's between you and the Lord. But I will say one of the reasons I don't like 
the man in the sled. It's because I think it conveys some ideas that are opposite of what Paul's describing with this gift. For example, what do we teach your kids if you're into that? Is that you got to be nice instead of naughty because if you're naughty, you don't get any gifts, right? So the gifts are earned, right? They're not given out of an indescribable love, even though we paint this gentleman as the nicest, jolliest fellow ever. And there's that striving to be good enough to somehow earn the gifts. And the concern, if you haven't been good. The idea to make up for the lost goodness or to somehow even the balances. Very different than the present God describes here, that Paul Paul describes here by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes I do wonder if we grew up with that idea of, well, I was nice, so I get to go to heaven. I wasn't that naughty, or I made up for my naughtiness. So you gotta give me a gift. Paul says, it's not like that. It's a gift given freely and undeserved, all out of grace. So, where does it leave us now? Well, if you've received gifts, God's gift beyond words, if you're a believer, then this Christmas, I encouragement to you is to join Paul by giving thanks to God for his indescribable love that caused him to give you Jesus. Give thanks to him for his wonderful love for you. Rejoice in the good news that the angels brought that you and God are at peace right now. That's a big deal. Part of us, population of humanity, gets frustrated with that idea that why why do I have to be at peace with God? Why is God not at peace with me? What do I ever do to him? You know, it's fascinating. We, We say that about God, but like if someone were to ever approach us when we feel wronged by them, and we were to say to them, and they were to say to us, what problem do you have with me? What do you mean, what problem do I have with you? I have every reason to have a problem with you. But even if the other person doesn't understand, does that all of a sudden make us go, well, I shouldn't have a problem with them? We have this concept that somehow we're all-knowing and that God is very little-knowing, or at least not very reasonable. And yet we demand he just overlook anything we've done to him as if it's no big deal. Why should this upset you so much? Why even have a hell? Why have judgment? I mean, it's not that bad, the things I've done. Rejoice with the good news that the angels have brought that you and God are at peace now because you're in Christ. Amen? And then join in their worship. Worship Jesus this Christmas. I mean, worship him after Christmas. Worship him before Christmas. Be thankful Rejoice and worship. Now, if you've not received God's gift beyond words, if you're not a believer, then repent. What does it mean to repent? It means to change your mind, to turn around, go a different direction. You were heading this way. You were going away from God. You were doing your own thing, and that could be all sorts of things. It could look good to humanity. It can look horrible to humanity, but either way, it's going your own way. And he says, repent, turn around. And then receive Christ. Stop fighting God and make peace with Him by acknowledging your sin. 
accept his love and receive his gift of Jesus and be born again. Now, as I said earlier, there is more indescribable stuff to talk about. But next week, we'll look at God's method, his indescribable sacrifice, and God's goals, his indescribable results. So I encourage you to come back on Christmas Eve morning to learn about that. For now, let's all stand. Lord, we thank you so much for your great love for us, a love that we, language fails because thought fails. We can't fully grasp it, Lord, but yet Paul's prayer under inspiration is that they would grasp as much as, that we would grasp as much as we can of it. Certainly enough to be thankful. And so, Lord, we say thank you for your love. Thank you, Lord, for your will toward us being good. Lord, that you desire peace with us. You desire a harmonious relationship. You desire to know us, to bless us. And Lord, for those of us who have received that gift, we, Lord, we just embrace it anew. And we commit to you that our desire is to be thankful, to rejoice, and to worship you this Christmas. Lord, with every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're here this morning and you would say, I've never received Christ, or maybe you've been astray, you've not been walking with him and you want to make a fresh start. If that's you this morning, just lift your hand high because I'd like to pray with you as you make that decision this morning. If you're receiving Christ, or you say, I want to make a fresh start with the Lord this Christmas. Just lift your hand high because I'd, I'd like to pray with you as you are making that decision. Anybody this morning before we close? Amen. I see someone's hand raised in the back there too. Praise the Lord. Anybody else before we close? Lord, you see every hand that was raised. You know every heart. And I pray for those who are receiving you or, or Lord, if they are coming back to you, coming home. Lord, I pray you'd fill them with love, fill them with acceptance. Lord, let them know that you're at peace with them and your heart is toward them. And then, God, fill them with your Holy Spirit and empower them to walk with you moving forward, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.